We're going to have a little bit of revisionist history on today's show. We're going to go back, look at our 10 thoughts, as well as some of our bold predictions heading into the season, and kind of get to the crux of what went wrong for Syracuse. Why did some of the optimistic things not work, and why did some of the pessimistic things maybe surprise? We're going to get into what we were right about, what we were wrong about, all that and more coming up next on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. You are Locked on Syracuse, your daily podcast on the Syracuse Orange. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up and welcome in. It is your Thursday Locked On Syracuse podcast, free and available wherever you get your podcast. That is on YouTube, that is on Spotify, that is on Apple Podcasts, so be sure to subscribe on all those. Watch the show on YouTube. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse. And we thank you for making us your first listen every single day. Only place to get daily Syracuse podcasts. All right, Tim. So we're going to go through a lot of stuff that we were right about, a lot of stuff that we were wrong about. I'm sure we might be in one bucket more than the other. Um, But when we look back at this Syracuse season, I think going back and looking at some of the preseason predictions and even some of the stuff, not just that we said, but that was out there within the ether as well of what this Syracuse team might look like. It's always good. And I think when you dive into that stuff, you can kind of get a handle on where things went wrong. Or if Syracuse was maybe overachieving this season, where things went right. And I think there's certainly things that have went right this season, even though it's not the year that Syracuse would have wanted. But there are certainly some surprises that we can get into. And I think the best way to do this for us is to go back and look through our 10 Thoughts series that we do every single year to preview Syracuse basketball and Syracuse football. So let's start with our our thought number one that we had, and that is Joe Girard. We, We talked about, will Joe Girard have a bounce back season. And I think the the answer the correct answer is yes. Did he bounce back from last season? Yes. But has he hit the strides that we expected him to have by the time he was a junior? I think when you look at it from a micro standpoint, yes, he he has had a bad or a bounce back season. But when you look at it from the macro, that's when you get into no. He he really hasn't lived up to what Syracuse fans wanted out of him by the time he was a junior in the program. He hasn't taken a leap, right? And that is something that we called for even at the end of his freshman season going into his sophomore year. We had the question, all right, can Joe Girard take a sophomore leap? And it didn't come then. And honestly, at this point, I've talked about it some, but I don't think it's going to happen in his Syracuse career. You don't really see guys take a leap from a junior to senior season. So, yes, I think he did bounce back when you consider he shot it. He's shooting currently 41% from three. He's made 77 threes, so that's high volume, 160th best mark in the country from three-point range, still right up there in the ACC in three-point percentage. He's had some big games. He's shooting 90% from the foul line, but the turnover rate and the assist rate on Ken Palm are the exact same number, 22.2%. That's a good assist rate. That's a really bad turnover rate, and that's still the thing with Joe Girard that's holding him back. And that's one of the things, too, is we kind of label him as an X-Factor heading into this season. We labeled him as an X-Factor down this final five-game stretch. And he's had a couple games where he's been nice this season. But it's, again, the the Joe Girard roller coaster. You don't know what you're going to get. Is it going to loop-de-loop? Is it going to go backwards on Sundays? Like, that, to me, is the ultimate thing with Joe Girard is consistency. And, and to, to pull a Dino Babers phrase, can you be consistently good and not occasionally great? And... Let's be honest, if we got a consistently good Joe Girard season, we're looking at a totally different season. We're looking at a team that at least is on the bubble at this point if he has consistent performances throughout. But he has some of these flash performances, and 
quite frankly, you look at some of these big time performances that he has and you look back through the game log and it's like, well, how much does that contribute to winning per se? Like you need these performances against the Dukes, the Carolinas and the, the Notre Dames of the bunch. You, you don't need them necessarily against the, the BCs or the Louisville's or the NC States. You need these big performances and big games and he just hasn't delivered those. Yeah, and when he doesn't reach double figures, it feels like Syracuse is an entirely different team. You think about the Virginia game at home. He had three points. He was basically one for five in that game, just a non-factor against Kihei Clark. They lost that game. You think about Pittsburgh on the road when Simeir Torrance was out, you thought that might be a good thing for him. He goes one for six from three. He goes one for nine total. He scores three points. And he was a non-factor in the entire game. Notre Dame recently, two points. Syracuse loses. VCU early in the season, six points. Syracuse loses. It's been pretty easy at times to predict that the tough games are coming because once there is a capable pressure defender on the other end, they're able to get into him and bother him a little bit. And that's what scares me when we talk about him as maybe the guy next year, which I'm not saying that's going to end up being the case, but right now he's on a short list of guys that could be the leading scorer next year. Mm -hmm. And it's not Buddy Beheim's team next year. So how consistent can Joe Girard be in the future now? I'm really worried. I don't think he gets much better than he was this season, which is a fine player, but it's never going to match what the fan base thought Can't of him. Can't be your at. number one. Can't yeah. be your number one. And, and I don't think the expectation necessarily him for him coming into the program was to be a number one, but that wasn't your expectation for Buddy Beheim either coming into the season. And I think Buddy has shown he can be a fine number one, but you would have wanted Joe Girard to be a, a strong two. And, and you haven't gotten that out of Joe Girard so far throughout his career. Let's dive into the next one here. And I think this next one might actually be where things went the most wrong because of the jumble that we're going to get into. And we ranked our most impactful newcomers. And I don't know if you still have your list, but I dug up mine out of the notes archive. I don't think here. I have it, but I can so, guess what it is, I think, maybe. you probably, And it probably isn't that far off from what mine is either, I would imagine. And we threw Frank into this equation because his freshman year, really in the eyes of, of most, should not count either because of the COVID stuff that happened. So he was a, a newcomer for all intents and purposes. Here's how I ranked him. I had Benny... Cole, Jimmy, Frank, Samir. And I think if we had to go back and re-rank them now, it would go Cole, Jimmy, Samir, Frank, Benny. Yeah, I guess. Frank, it really was looking like he was going to vault into that number two or number three category. And it's tough with Samir hurt right now. But I think Samir has progressed as the season has gone along. You want to talk better. about someone who's improved? I think the easy answer to that who's improved the most on this team this season is jesse i think there's no ifs ands or buts yeah. about that but the guy who's number two on that list probably samir yeah Just i would agree i through. think what's interesting when you revisit that is certainly benny the way we talked about him and that was another one of our 10 thoughts just expectations mm -hmm. for benny williams i went back and listened to some of that and we kind of said that he was going to be up and down this year, but we thought there was going to be pop games. And I believe you said something like it'd be a Malachi S type of freshman season, because that's what the ranking kind of lend us to believe. And the other thing I brought up listening back to that is that he has to play some because he does so many things that the rest of the team sorely needs athleticism, 
making plays for others, vision, like just helping out on defense and stuff like that. And it just didn't really come to pass because pretty early into the season, you could tell his jumper was way behind where I was led to believe or where I thought it was. And Jim Boeheim had a quote in the beginning of the season that I brought up time and time again on Benny, where he said something like, if you can't make a jump shot and you're playing the forward position, it's tough to make an impact on the game. And once he said that, it really registered with me. And I sort of backpedaled my Benny takes and said, we might have a real problem here. Midway through the season, he started around a corner and then it just never really panned out from there. He had that big Duke game recently, but that's the newcomer that if Benny was different, it would be a different season, but you can't really fault Benny too much for that. It's just, we probably put too much pressure on him out of the gate. Yeah. And, and quite frankly, it's tough to impact the game as, or, or at least be the most impactful newcomer when you had the minutes that he had. And I'm not saying that he deserved more minutes by any stretch. I think there were a couple games here and there where he probably deserved yeah. more. And there were probably a couple games where he probably deserved less too. Um, but I, I look at it too, from a minute standpoint, I mean, Cole and Jimmy have played, it feels like damn near every minute of every single game this entire season. Um, so they're, they're obviously the one and two there. And I think when you look at Cole, he's had his moments where like, maybe not to the volume that, that Cole has had from a point standpoint, like obviously he had the big day 36 against UNC, maybe not to the volume standpoint, but I thought the trajectory in terms of like, if you were to, to draw the line graph, it would look a, for Benny, it would look a little more similar to Cole, where, yeah, there were some really good performances, and then some bad performances, and the line graph would look the same. Maybe not the volumes and the, the counting statistics would look the same, but the, the graph itself would. And there just haven't been enough highs with Benny for, for him to yeah. obviously, A, be the most impactful newcomer, and B, to, to meet any sort of expectations that people may have had for him. Yeah, and I think what this is proving is – there's really not a true like that guy went and grabbed it and grabbed the most impactful newcomer award. If there is such a thing and you needed at least one or two of those guys yeah. to blossom into really legit scoring valuable pieces on this roster. If you're going to be an NCAA tournament team, Cole Swider shown flashes. Jimmy Beheim's interesting because in a way he's exceeded expectations, but another 10 thought we had is what is Jimmy Beheim's role going to be yeah. at the start of the season? A lot of my conversation, at least from what I remember, was he could be kind of that Marek type of guy and be a facilitator, beat the press, be your inbounds passer, that type of stuff. I think we've realized that he's not as much Marek as I would have guessed, but he's probably a better scorer than I would have guessed. So there's a give and a take there. We'll get to your Jimmy conversation as well. And then also there's some stuff in here that we got into ranking some of Syracuse's zone defenders. Also, Benny Williams, you brought up the expectations that we set for him as well as some of the expectations for the big men. So that's all to come in just a second. But first, we are less than two weeks away now from getting those brackets ready. And that means you need to get with runyourpool.com. Are you just going for the usual to run your brackets or are you looking for the best? We've done our homework and that's why we're running our brackets with runyourpool.com. Along with standard brackets, Run Your Pool offers game types like Survivor or Pick X, both really fun in their own ways. And they have options to edit scoring. They offer more intel to make your picks as well. And you're not going to find any of that stuff on the other sites that you may have used in the past whether it's ESPN or CBS, you have to use runyourpool.com. If you've got a business, Run Your Pool can help take some of the madness magic and play alongside your employees or even gain customers as well. Plus, they offer full white glove support as well as custom branding and one of the easiest three-minute setups you'll find. Clearly, we believe Run Your Pool because, like I said, 
We're running our brackets there ourselves, and there's no truer test than that. If you want to play against us for a shot at a cash prize, join us at runyourpool.com slash locked on. And while you're there, create your own pool for your friends and family and enter the code PUREMADNESS at checkout for $10 off of your custom pool. All the rules and details will be available there. That's runyourpool.com slash locked on for your chance to win a cash prize. We look forward to seeing and beating you there. So looking at, let's start with Jimmy Beheim because you brought his name up here and, and what the expectations are for his role. I think we were in agreement there. We thought it was going to be a Marek sort of carryover. And I guess the, the glaring difference between Jimmy and Marek is defense. Marek was a fantastic defender and, and yeah. could play a number of roles defensively for this team. Jimmy just couldn't do any of that. He, whether it was the four, we saw them try Jimmy at, in, at the five for, for some smaller lineups at times. That was a disaster. I would say offensively, Jimmy was a better scorer, wasn't quite the facilitator that Marek was. They were just different players, and that was probably a miscalculation, really, for everyone from the beginning of the season. Yeah, and again, I think if you were to ask me straight up, has Jimmy Beheim exceeded or underwhelmed? If I had to pick one of those in terms of expectations, he's probably exceeded, but it just hasn't really been. I mean, Marek was such a fan favorite. He's maybe blossomed into in a list of a lot of guys that are probably hated by the fan base. He's right yeah, up he's there. A punching bag. Like, yeah, it's. It's tough. I mean, he's shooting 62% from the foul line. That's not that good. And honestly, I feel like he's sort of due for some regression from the three-point line. I know he missed a couple in the last game. He was hovering around 40% throughout most of the year. He's dropped down to 36% from three. To me, he's more of a 33 34% shooter. Like, I don't see him continuing to rise three-point shooting-wise the rest of the year. So, He's actually maybe exceeded expectations. Jim Beheim has said as much offensively, but the defense is where when you get into talking about this year's team, that's what it comes down to. We, right. you know, they were projected 83 Ken Palm D and I'll pull it up because I haven't looked recently, but they are now 223 Ken Palm defense right now. Like that's just not going to get it done. Right. And we thought it was bad when it was 123. <laughs> and although yeah. there's a hundred more spots to go too, that, that this team could find itself. Um, but looking at, yeah, like has Jimmy exceeded expectations? Yes, but his exceeding of expectations hasn't gone in the path that Syracuse fans maybe wanted. And the path was probably more important than the actual production. If he was to exceed expectations or even just meet expectations in the manner that Syracuse fans sort of wanted, you're looking at a totally different player and maybe even a totally different season, but because of the way that he went about it offensively, he was just, I think a much better scorer than anyone could have anticipated in, in this league. And the jump for him offensively from a scoring standpoint, there was, there, there was not, there was no talk of a drop off. It, it was, I mean, he, he has absolutely shattered my, my scoring expectations this season. It's just, he hasn't done any of the other things as well as we thought he would do. So certainly a, a frustrating thing there. Let's get to Barama Sidibe because this was another thing that we brought up. What's next for Barama Sidibe? And when you look at, I, I think it's kind of a moot point in terms of the when looking back on it, because at the time we didn't think Jesse would be doing what he did this season. Sure. And if Jesse plays that way, 
And even with the foul trouble that he did find himself in, you can only be so impactful in the the seven to 10 minutes that you could be out there. And with Barama's health, as we kind of noted all season long, probably wasn't going to see most of those minutes, especially when you have Frank, who's just the healthier option. But so it all, it all kind of becomes moot at the end. But for Barama Sidibe, we didn't think he would really do a whole heck of a lot with this team. At least I didn't at the beginning of the season. And for him to give the minutes that he's given the last two or three games in the the absence of Jesse and, and with Frank really struggling, that to me is more than enough to make this a successful season for Barama. Because quite frankly, I thought you might be able to count the number of minutes he played this season on two hands. Yeah. Well, even when we had the conversation after Jesse got hurt, I think you and you weren't the only one, but a lot of people were skeptical. How yeah. effective is he going to be? How much is he going to stay on the court? How much is foul trouble going to rear its ugly head? Because he can't jump. He, he can't elevate at yeah. all. He's 50% of what he used to be, but he gets in the right spots and he's been pretty invaluable. Like he had a go ahead basket with a minute left on the road at UNC. Yeah. It was a tip in, but he made a big overtime play in a game uh, against Georgia tech, I believe where, you know, he's come through in some big moments here. It eventually isn't going to mean much because the season's kind of lost by the time he was playing a whole lot, but it is kind of a feel good story and a good way for him to go out. And there was some conversation when he first said, I'm coming back in the off season amongst us, amongst other people, like, is he going to be healthy? Why, why would he even come back, right? Because you got Jesse, you got yeah. Frank, you know that the knees have been a problem. And I guess it's been worth it because he probably enjoys school and loves being around the team. And by all accounts, he's a great teammate. So it's been good to see at least that the one positive from Jesse's injury is Barama's gotten kind of a proper send-off, getting to have some big moments after fighting through some injuries. Right, exactly. Real quickly... I do want to hit on one more that we that we discussed in the preseason. The is Buddy Beheim an All American, and it, it's it's not hard to to go through that now. He's he's not an All American, um, but could he have been with maybe some more support? And I think that's that was probably the the crux of the Buddy Beheim All American candidacy. Like, if guys just kind of did their roles a little bit better and Syracuse was in a better spot as a team, we may be looking at it differently because at the end of the day, Buddy Beheim's averaging about 19 yeah. points per game right now. Like he's put up his numbers and, and done everything that's sort of been expected of him. But Syracuse just hasn't been a part of the spotlight one bit this season. Yeah, I think I settled on that it was maybe 50-50 or slightly yeah, less than I believe 50, that's what 50. it was, yeah. Yeah, for if he was an All-American in – I think this season has pretty much gone how I've expected it to go for Buddy. It's not like he's taken a quote-unquote leap, but he has, in my opinion at least, maybe people disagree, I think he's validated what he did in March a little bit yeah. last year oh, by being a number one guy throughout an entire season, being the second leading scorer in the ACC. It's a down ACC, and he gets a lot of shots, but still, it's just the team's not good enough. And that was right. kind of my basis for to be an All-American like Max Aismas is probably playing just as good as he was last year for Oral Roberts, but they haven't gone on a tourney run or they haven't been nationally relevant. So he's not going to be an all American this year, but it's not like he got progressively worse or we should evaluate buddy season as a disappointment because he's not an all American. Right. I, I totally agree with you. I think 
that you say validated and the words that were going to come out of my mouth basically echo the same sentiment as he picked up where he left off from the tournament yeah. run. And, and I think that to me was enough, and, but, and, but you're right. It, it ultimately came down to the team success. And that's probably the reason why he's not going to make any all American teams this year. Thanks again for making Locked On Syracuse your first listen every single day. Be sure to check out the Locked On Bracket Breakdown, March 14th, right here on the Locked On Syracuse podcast feed and YouTube channel. College basketball experts Chris Gordy, Andy Patton, and betting expert Lee Sterling give you in-depth breakdowns on every matchup, so be sure to check that out. Also, football may be over, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, and player performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all of your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your source for hockey, boxing, and UFC odds as well. So head on over to the website or use your phone today to learn more about the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. A couple more that we'll hit on here. Here's an interesting one, looking back on it, because we gave our thoughts on this historic non-conference stretch that Syracuse was about to embark on. And I think everything we sort of laid out then kind of holds true now. It was just too much. And I think you look back at the, especially with a group of newcomers too. We, we discussed that, I remember, and how that might be a little bit more difficult. But you look back at some of the losses. I mean, there were games that you looked at from November 9th through December 29th. And it was like, how the hell did you lose that game? And there were games too. They, they flipped a couple of results. Don't get me wrong, but you flip more for the worse than for the better. When you look at Colgate, when you look at VCU, when you look at uh, Georgetown, like those were games that you thought were layups to be victories. Maybe VCU, not as much as the other two, but you thought that these would be games that would lead you to some sort of non-conference success. Like you can live with not beating Villanova. You can live with, if you had known at the time that they were playing Auburn, you could live with not beating Auburn. But some of the, the other inexcusable ones, that kind of set the tone more so than the losses that you had against some of these good teams in the non-conference. Yeah, it is sort of interesting like looking at Ken Palm now, he constant or not him, but his algorithms are constantly evaluating your strength of schedule. And it changes based on how other teams are doing. The non-conference strength of schedule for Syracuse is 85th in the nation. So it's not like it was historically tough. They were 188 last year. The year before that, as I look through here, they were 224. So it got tougher this year for sure. I feel like it was maybe even a little easier than we thought looking back on it because Georgetown's become such a bad team. 185 on Ken Palm currently Florida state. I, I grouped that in there, even though Ken Palm's not evaluating it was just an easier game than we thought initially Arizona state turned out to be kind of a easy win and they did get that win, but it's just so many games in such little time that really hurt Syracuse. When I think back on that stretch, the, idea that they won the Indiana game in double overtime is sort of unbelievable when you factor in that they had just come off Colgate, then the battle for Atlantis, where they were just gassed playing against Auburn in that third game. And they weren't going to beat Auburn anyway, but it was even tougher with so many games in such a little stretch. I will say this. The one thing when you bring up the, the non-conference strength of schedule and how it's always evolving, 
I think it needs a little bit of context to it. Like 85th is actually pretty strong of a schedule that you're facing because you got to remember the teams that are ahead of you. It's a lot of these teams that go and do the pay for slay. Like I just ran the, a quick little check on it. Syracuse has the 13th toughest of power conference teams. So you're in the upper yeah, 20%. Yeah. So that's okay. pretty good. Um, because when you look at like some of the teams that like the top 10, our sweat, uh, what do we have? Two, five, seven SWAC teams, two A Suns, and a <laughs> Sun Belt. Right. So, like, y- those are the teams that are going out getting killed by the Gonzagas, the Kentuckys early on in the season. So, just wanted okay, to provide I'm that little bit that. of context. That, that makes there. it but different. Then. When we were talking about from a, a historic standpoint, we're talking more from the Syracuse has never played yeah, a non conference sure. like this. And it was the most teams inside the, the Ken Palm, I believe it was top 65, was the number we settled on when it was all said and done. Um, to open a non-conference. And it was the fewest in the Bayheim era that they had played in at home, the fewest home games that they had played in the non-conference as well. So it was certainly something they weren't accustomed to and certainly something that I wouldn't even say derailed the season because you just should have won some of those games. Like the losses, the, the expected losses, fine. Like lose to Villanova, all right, cool. Lose to Auburn. It's the the games that you were supposed to win that you didn't that really changed the tenor of the season heading into ACC play. Yeah, it was interesting to me that at the time, I always viewed this team pretty similar to that NIT team with Andrew White, where you're incorporating a lot of new pieces. Maybe they would start out struggling the non-con because of that. But we always talked about how that team clicked. Now, Syracuse was starting to click, and then Jesse Edwards got hurt. So you could use that as an excuse. But the way that they started out early January sort of sunk them to a new low of losing to Virginia, Miami, Wake Forest in succession. Then even January 25th, you fall to Pittsburgh on the road. The NIT team was already sort of rounding into form by that point. That's when Tyus Battle was starting to hit that shot against Clemson, and they were starting to win a lot of games. Now, they had some really, really bad losses in the non-con as well, but Syracuse given up 100 to Colgate, given up a loss to Georgetown that just continues to look terrible over time is really Mm -hmm. still head-scratching. Right. Um, another one that we talked about, and I do want to get into because there's something I want to lay out with it, is Benny Williams' expectations and the what we set out for him. And I think a lot, and it's not just Benny Williams, but a lot of freshmen, especially highly touted ones, caught a raw deal this year. And what I mean by that is just the nature of how the recruiting services work. Because a lot of them are going to be fed by coaches telling recruiting analysts this, that, and the other. Well, it's a lot tougher to do that when you're not seeing these coaches at these events because that's where a lot of this information gets gained. And I think for the most part, it was tough to evaluate this class as a whole because nobody went out and really saw these guys play on the AAU circuit. All those tournaments got canceled. I mean, let's just take a look at some of these freshmen too, like, sure, there were certainly some hits. Chet Holmgren hit, and, and I think that one's yeah, probably an one, easy one. Right. That's an easy one to hit on, too. He's a seven-foot unicorn that can shoot. That's going to play. Paolo Bancaro, all right, that's a hit. Congrats, two for two. Let's just go around where Benny's ranked. I think that's a better way of doing uh, Well, it. even you can – I think you can even stick in the top ten a little bit, too, like Patrick Baldwin. He's a guy who went to Milwaukee, was supposed to dominate that conference, hasn't done a whole lot. I know he had some injuries, too, but hasn't done much. 
Caleb. Yeah, Houston. but I think he's just. I don't like that example because he's just. Ne- it's the same thing as Max A. Smith. Like he's not going to be in the national conversation because it's Milwaukee. So yeah, but he that doesn't there. excuse him for not going out and beating up on like if Paolo Bank. Let's put look at some of these other guys around him. Like Jabari Smith was ranked one spot ahead of him. Jabari Smith is tearing up the SEC. Shouldn't Patrick Baldwin be playing much better against Horizon League competition? I think the answer is pretty simply yes. Yeah, I think what's better to do is say, all right, who was around Benny that's a power conference player? How have they fared? And it's pretty hit or miss. I I think pretty much top 15 guys are top 15 guys. Like even Mm -hmm. A.J. Griffin was ranked 18th on 24-7 sports. Some of these other top 15 players, Ty Ty Washington, J.D. Davison, uh, Caleb Houston, like they've all been pretty good for the most part. But, but there's misses in there. I mean, you look at Caleb Houston and and Peyton Watson. They haven't done a whole heck of a lot at their respective yeah, destinations. Yeah. Um. I look so, at a couple. I look at a couple others too, like a, a name that even Syracuse was in on. Brandon Huntley Hatfield hasn't played a whole heck of a lot at Tennessee this year. Um. You look at. Let's see. Um. I'm looking through some of these other names, like a uh, Bryce Hopkins at Kentucky hasn't done a whole heck of a lot for them. Like a lot of these guys are sort of sitting in the same boat and they're all top 40 guys. Yeah, I would agree that once you get into Benny's range, it's not like he's some outlier here. I mean, Villanova's got a couple guys in the top 100 that are not on the roster. Mm -hmm. So it is a little disappointing that it went that way for Benny. But as we've talked about a lot, it's not that unusual. It just sometimes doesn't happen for freshmen. And Jim Beheim's brought up how he was a guy that had a huge growth spurt. And for all his life, he played like a guard, and now he's trying to get him to learn how to rebound, how to be physical, how to score inside, how to try to use that part of his game. And it's just going to take some time. Plus, I think the biggest thing for me is the shooting. Like, even watching, there was a photo on Syracuse's Instagram recently of him just shooting warm-ups, and they froze it right at the top. And his guide hand's kind of like over the top of the ball a little bit. So it just doesn't look like the shooting form was as crisp or as dialed in as maybe we would have thought like the jumper is just too flat right now to be effective. Yeah. And it's something that he's going to have to work on. And he certainly can like shooting is one of those things that you spend a lot of time on it. It can be an easy fix. I mean, that's one of the things where NBA scouts aren't necessarily afraid to take a chance on you in the NBA because you can't shoot because we've seen a number of players just become much better shooters when they give it some more time. A uh, last couple that I want to just sprinkle through here. Uh, we hit on the non-conference Jesse Edwards. I mean, yeah, he was great. shattered <laughs> expectations. The, the, yeah. I think we can leave it at that in, in a word um, or in a phrase, he shattered expectations. There really isn't a whole heck of a lot more than that. Um, and then getting into some of the other things we discussed um, where Syracuse would finish in the conference I picked them sixth. I believe you picked them seventh. I think or seventh. Yeah. Something so in that neighborhood. Eighth or ninth. So they'll finish. Yeah. yeah eighth or ninth. And, and quite frankly, that's uh that's a, it, it doesn't make a whole lack of a lot of difference between eighth or ninth. Um, right. But the ACC was even worse than I right. thought. And if I, you, I wasn't that high. Yeah. If you, if you told me the ACC was as bad as it was, I, I would have probably picked Syracuse a little bit higher. Yeah. But, me too. um, and listen, like we all also discussed, I think at one point, like what's the path for them to finish top four, top three. And it was sure as hell wide as hell open. I mean, you look at the teams that did slither into the top four, three spots right now, Notre Dame and Miami. were not necessarily expected to be there. 
How about Wake they Forest? Were. They were in Wake Forest. Yep, that's another one. Fourteen, I think, in the something in, in the that polls. neighborhood. Yeah, right. And, and they found their way in. So there, it was there to be taken to get one of those top four spots. And a couple teams took advantage of it this year. Um, the last thing that I'll hit on here: uh, the bold predictions. I don't remember what yours were, but I, I do remember mine. My first yeah. bold prediction, I think, was Syracuse would be a top forty defensive team. That could not have been more wrong. <laughs> no. Nope. And then these the are other bold one predictions. Keep yes, these are bold. Yeah, yeah. you, you got to go out on a limb for these ones. And then my other one was that Cole Swider would be the best transfer in the ACC, which obviously was wrong because Alondis Williams uh, and, oh, and the right. production that he gave. I, I still think Cole Swider was a solid addition, and it's a, a tra uh, transaction I would have made again. But I, over Quincy, I don't know. But again, like, would I take him over Quincy? No, I, yeah. certainly not. I shouldn't. Transaction was probably the wrong word. I should say. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Good addition to a team that needed that type of player. But right. it probably was a downgrade from what we had at that position last year. I had I believe one of them was we will see more of Jimmy at the five than we think and less of Frank, which I don't really know if that was a hit or not, because there was that Wake Forest game where that came true, but there were also other games where Frank was a pretty big factor off the bench, and Frank was playing well until this funk that he's gotten in here. So that's kind of been true and not true because Barama stepped up as well. The other one was Saimir Torrance will not be a part of the ACC rotation was one of my predictions. He's gotten hurt recently, but I think he has gotten a lot better as the season yeah. has progressed. I was low on him at the start of the year. I was just about as low after the first 10, 15 games. I didn't see much of a scoring punch from him to provide a ton of minutes, but he has really blossomed into a guy that I think I'm a little bit excited about next year. The final thing before we get out of here, I just looking at the defensive numbers, and that's again what this all comes down to, is the defense just totally underwhelmed this year, and there was no way they were going to be successful with how bad the defense was. I did some digging on the Ken Palm history of turnover rate percentage on defense. And I tweeted this out, but they're 257th in the nation yeah. right now in turnover rate on defense turnovers forced, however you want to phrase it. That is mm -hmm. as bad as it has been in the zone era for Syracuse. And you go back the 10 years before that they averaged 53rd in the nation. So my point is the defense has been bad and it hasn't been because they're not rebounding or, the field goal percentage at the rim defense has been about as bad as it has been recently. It's the three point defense has struggled and the turnover percentage has really dropped. And that just comes down to athleticism. So actually to put a positive spin on it, more athleticism next year, maybe that's a stat that you get back in your favor and you're back on track a little bit on defense. Just looking at it. I mean, Ken Palm ranks, I think about 500 players or well, it shows you the ranking for, uh, like the top 500 yeah, yeah. players when it lists out the roster and I'm looking this year, they've got one guy who's got a, a ranking next to their name and it's Joe Girard. And they usually dominate Let, that. I mean, every I mean, think year about how many times. Yeah. Think about how many times like Trevor Cooney and Mike Benajay were near the top of the leaderboard. Frank Howard. I think they were one, yep. two, uh, a couple times too. Um, and then I look even last year, Kadari Richmond was 13th in the country in steel percentage. And then you had Alan Griffin, who who has a, a ranking next to his name, and Joe Girard has a ranking next to his name. Like, yeah. What and actually, if you look at it, when that turnover number is good, Syracuse is usually good overall. It's a pretty good correlation. When they're bad, that number's bad. They're usually bad. There's been years before they went strictly to zone, before that Lemoyne loss, where they had that little bit of an NIT stretch and kind of Devo's years in the 06 to 
09 time period, and they really struggled in that category. And I think going to zone has helped them, but that's something that Archie Miller and Sean Miller do a podcast now on the field of 68. They talked about it early in the year. They said, it's obvious the difference in Syracuse. They're just not getting turnovers. The rebounds have always been down when you play the zone, but the turnovers yeah. usually help you. And they just haven't had turnovers and athletes leading into transition this year as much as normal. I'm looking back at the final four run from 2016. You want to take a guess how many players ranked inside the top 500? Definitely Benajay, definitely mm-hmm. Cooney. And this mm-hmm. isn't steals or turnover This isn't rate. steal percentage. Yep. Yeah. Steal percentage. Uh, I mean, uh, even like Frank Howard off the bench that year might have ranked inside. I, I Frank, know, like it looks like five. he may not have qualified because he, he had a really high percentage. He, he had like a 3.1 percentage, which actually matched Ben and Jay, but he must Malachi not have Malachi probably did. Yeah. Malachi did not. It? The other two were uh, Daywon Coleman and Tyler Lydon. Okay. And so I four, mean, you're talking and about four, four of a rotation of seven guys. Yeah. That's, that's going to do it. That'll, that'll do it for you defensively. So, all right. That's going to do it for us here tomorrow. We will be back recapping anything crazy that Jim Beheim may say on his coaches show, as well as get into a little bit of Miami as well. Prop shop picks, all that fun stuff. So for Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.